Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Uh, and today we are joined by our friend, Steph. Hi. And Kristen. Hello. Today we're talking about Big Mouth, puberty, and sex education. So, spoiler alert for Big Mouth Season 1 and 2. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So, Kristen, do you think you can give us a, a little synopsis of what Big Mouth is about? Sure. It is an animated show that encompasses the puberty experience using real people and fictional anthropomorphic monsters. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. Yeah. If you are interested, I would definitely say watch the pilot episode, watch season one, episode one, and it, it jumps right into what this show is about. So no need to take our word for it. Yeah. And I like how quickly they introduce the hormone monster as like a main character. He's not like uh, just like a side thing that like comes in every now and then. He's very present in like every episode right from the beginning. And that really is what the show's about. Like you said, it's like these kids dealing with their home hormones and puberty and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I would definitely rate Big Mouth. Um Probably a four out of five stars. The only thing that's stopping me from from giving it that one extra star is like sometimes the gags get a little too gaggy, um, but it has so much good content that I think the gags actually take away from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, God, in terms of stars, I guess for myself, I would um, give it a 3.5. Uh, I like the show a lot, but... Um, I think uh, I'm not such a big fan of gross humor, and I think the show has a plethora of gross humor, um, but I think it has a lot of value as a show. Yeah, um, I'd probably give it a 4.5. I know Alex is shaking his head. I know you don't like half measures and star counts, but um, for similar reasons you said, Alex, of just like sometimes the jokes or... Um, Particularly for me, like, the universe building, it's just kind of, like, a little too random at times. And for me, that, like, kind of makes me think, like, oh, this isn't as good as it could have been. But I still think it's really great, and it clearly has a lot of talented writers and actors behind it. So, 4.5. Like Alex, I actually give it about 4 stars out of 5, I think. It's good content, and it's cleverly written, but I think some of the jokes go for shock value. And those with a squeamish stomach might not enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree that there is some shock value involved. But for the most part, any parts that are gross per se, like if that's not your humor, you're not going to like it as much. But it's oftentimes purposeful because it's portraying puberty and puberty is an uncomfortable experience, and it is gross, and it is talking about things that are happening to people's bodies. Mm-hmm. So I I get why they have to be gross in order to stay true to the nature of puberty. True. I just think occasionally they're excessively gross without reason. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, Coach Steve in season one gets a pink eye in both of his eyes, mm. and his eyes get like crusted shut over the course of an episode. 
and it seemed very unnecessary, superfluous. And he specifically says it's because he, like, put poop on the basketballs and yeah. then, like, touched the <laughs> basketballs to his face. <laughs> so, like, they were like, not only is this visual gross, the reason this visual is here is gross. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I definitely agree. In season one, Coach Steve is really just... I feel like Nick Kroll was like, I want to do my Gil Faison voice. Can we write a character so I could do my Gil Faison voice? And they were like, yeah, sure, Nick, why not? <laughs> um, but then in season two, I think they really, you know, gave him more of like a reason to be there. Mm -hmm. um, Even in terms of like Coach Steve became the kid mm -hmm. and the kids going through puberty were teaching Coach Steve about everything he should already know as an adult. Yeah. So they sort of use him as a vehicle of um, the kid that doesn't know anything, which is difficult to portray when kids think they know everything. And so it was right. a nice idea to flip it around like that. Yeah. One of the first jokes in the first episode is Nick uh, and Andrew talking about, like, how you kiss a girl. And they're both like, yeah, we know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And you it's... just stick your tongue under their tongue. It's nice to talk like men. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it would be hard to get that thing of a kid admitting that they don't know um, what's going on, especially with sex, because they think everyone else, like, is having sex or, like, knows everything about sex. So they don't want to be the weird one that, like, doesn't know it. So season one focuses a lot on um, going through puberty the first time. So like your first period, like getting um, hair, things like that. Um, and then like sexual identity, how you're supposed to be in a relationship. And then season two focuses more on your body image, um, especially like pre-puberty and post-puberty, like how you view yourself. And then it gets a lot into what that does to your mental health because that they talk about shame and depression as well um and so i'm wondering um which one you guys preferred and like what you preferred about each season um so i i liked season two well i i liked season one and season two i think i preferred season two maybe because season one like you were saying is so focused on these beginnings of puberty and the beginnings of puberty I'm so I feel very far removed from and it's mm -hmm. fun to you know look back especially in this particular lens of these little kids who are like awkward and everything but um season two I felt a little bit more like the things the kids were going through were things that I could still think about uh kind of in the present um you know Gina Alvarez going through this, um, getting exposed to the male gaze because her body is changing, and um, Nick trying to figure out how to talk to her as like a regular human being as opposed to like a pair of boobs. Um, and I think a lot of things like that uh, remain topical as you get older, maybe. Mm -hmm. I also liked both season one and two. Uh, Season one, like everyone said, really focuses on the immediate changes of puberty, like the physical responses of your hormones changing. So hair, just voice dropping, stuff like that. But I did prefer season two because it was more the nuances of puberty. So it was a lot more emotion and feeling oriented, 
which I think is what most people remember from puberty. Like, you might remember your first chest hair or something like that, but I think most of what you recall and struggled with during puberty is mm. your feelings. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree that season two I preferred. It really felt like the writers sat down at the end of season one and they said, okay, what worked and what didn't work? Let's cut out everything that didn't work and let's double down on everything that worked. Um, one thing that comes to mind, with, which Joe mentioned, was Coach Steve being like a gag character. And I feel like they sat down and they were like, all right, let's let's justify why Coach Steve was in this series to begin with. <laughs> and they sort of give him like his own character development. Um, and I especially liked the introduction of the shame wizard um, mm -hmm. in terms of everyone experiencing him, but no one knowing that he was with everyone. And then when he's gone, there's complete chaos. And there's sort of a little hint of like, well, shame allows society to function, but you need to be able to talk about it in order to not self-deprecate. And I thought that was a really important theme to portray uh, for anyone at any age. Mm -hmm. I did like season one a lot, though, mm -hmm. because everything was so new in terms of what they were going through, but in terms of what this cartoon was going to be about. So, like, they introduced the hormone monster and they introduced the crudeness of uh, the behavior of adolescence or pre-adolescence. And I was a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, similar to what you guys have been saying. Obviously, I like season one a lot. Um, and I really like the hormone monster like the idea of that character um because i think that like exaggerated personification makes it easier to digest um if you're a kid watching it which we'll get into later or even as an adult it's just like fun to watch so i liked the introduction of that like you said alex and then season two i think i like better again steph and kristen i think you guys brought up this point of like it's a little easier to like watch and relate now when you talk about emotions because like those are still things like you can feel. Um, and also similar to my critique of the show, I like in season two, they really expand the universe. They're like, okay, we have hormone monsters. What other mythical personifications of emotion are there? So they bring in the shame wizard. Um, we don't see her a lot, but they bring in this um the de the depression cat um and then you see uh really quickly this idea of human resources which is this like mythical land and it's like all these crazy creatures that um like control human lives and are all different aspects and i just thought that was like a really cool thing and i hope we see even more of that in um season three yeah it definitely reminded me of inside out um, when we see all of the emotions like near a control panel and they're all sort of like figuring out which emotion is going to work right now and how our balance is going to create a healthy emotional state for the human. And it, it was a smart way to introduce depression in the way that like she takes over. Like once she's yeah. in charge, like, oh, we all kind of lost our power. And I, I think the hormone monsters just in general were a really, really good idea mm -hmm. because... I think a lot of people don't realize how much they influence 
everything yeah, about a person. Mm-hmm. There's a good, I like the ways the hormone, you see the hormone monsters influence these kids' decisions and what mm-hmm. they do. And you can see that there's a separation. There's, the h- hormones make you do things. And there's mm-hmm. like this kind of a little bit more rational side of a child and then this, like, raging yeah. hormone monster that think, makes them do crazy things. I think it's hard to, as an individual, step back and go, okay, a lot of the chemicals in my body are just making me act a certain way. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I think, especially at a young age, it's really difficult to be like, oh, I'm depressed because my dopamine levels and my serotonin levels are all messed up. <laughs> but if you introduce something like the depression cat or the hormone monster... It shows that, you know what, like, they might just be chemicals, but they have a big impact on your life. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think in season two, when they introduced the shame wizard, they really solidify the fact that your homo- your hormone monster is your id, your shame mon- your shame wizard is your ego, yeah. and, like, your, tr- your superego. And so you're trying to find a balance between the two, but ultimately, you're still making decisions. Mm-hmm. So, yes... You're held accountable for your actions in the way that, like, Nick tries to apologize to Gina because his hormone monster made him do it. But there are still consequences for his actions because he still made that decision. I think that introducing the shame wizard was incredibly beneficial and informative just because initially he's portrayed as a bad guy. He's the antagonist. No one likes the shame wizard. But by the end... It's confirmed that you need shame. Like, not to get too Freuder in, but, like... I love getting Freuder in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But not to, like, bash society, but the only reason society works is because we have shame. Like, if we all just listen to our most basic impulses, it would be havoc. And shame is necessary. You shouldn't... Displayed very yeah. well in the like giant gym sleepover exactly. <laughs> experience. Which I just want to say, I don't know if your middle schools did overnight boy girl sleepovers. What a terrible idea that was. <laughs> that's, that's a disaster. They were, they were, who approved this? They were asking for it. In my yeah, no, that's a... I have to wonder, did Coach Steve kill that other teacher <laughs> with the wiffle ball bat? No. Because we never saw her again. <laughs> and then when he draws her... <laughs> she oh, has she X's, X's for X's. <laughs> I think maybe it's implied. <laughs> I'm hoping he's dumb and like thinks she's dead. Because yeah. like, wow. It's a possibility. <laughs> yeah. We can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> that she's dead. Um, what a prolific serial killer for an IQ solo. <laughs> yeah. Really. I did like the tiny uh, nod in season two of the ponytail killer mm-hmm. where he's driving and like crashes into a tree because someone runs into the road and a, and a girl with a ponytail jumps out of the trunk and runs away mm-hmm. <laughs> and Koshi's like, Oh, what a nice ponytail. <laughs> and you're like, oh, he's still out there. <laughs> he's still at large. But yeah, I definitely want to get into, cause we all clearly appreciate the show whether we we like it or not we understand its purpose and it's useful it has a lot of lessons but i really want to get into um what age is it appropriate to watch this show because um i recently compared it to inside out and i feel like inside out is very obviously it's pg everyone can watch it and everyone can get something out of it but in my mind there's a certain age group that says, oh, Inside Out is for kids. I'm not going to watch that. 
Whereas if that group watched Big Mouth, they would be like, oh, I'm getting away with watching something naughty. Mm -hmm. And so a greater group of kids are watching it. And so it could potentially be more beneficial. But that would only be if we agree that the show has lessons to teach. I mean, I also think Inside Out and Big Mouth are about two different things, but intertwined. You know, yeah, in absolutely. In the sense that mm -hmm. they both consider mental health. But uh, no, I'm with you in the, the certainly for a specific age group, not elementary schoolers. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Definitely not elementary schoolers. Definitely high schoolers, I think, could watch it. So I think whether or not should middle schoolers watch it, um, which the kids we follow are in middle school, so that's an interesting kind of connection. But I think that's the big question of, like, should middle schoolers, so, like, 12 to 13-year-olds be watching this show? Mm -hmm. and um, for the sake of getting a solid yes or no answer before we get into the why... Are we going to define middle school as 6, 7, 8, 7, 8, or 5, 6, 7, 8? Or 7, 8, and 9. There's a lot of middle school I ranges. I think <laughs> the standard is 6 through 8, Yeah, generally. Yeah, so okay. that's what I'd be most... So in terms of 6th graders, 7th graders, and 8th graders, I want to hear a solid yes, they should watch it, or yes, they're allowed to watch it, or no, they shouldn't be allowed to watch it. And then we'll get into the why. Yes, they should be allowed to watch it. No, I don't think they should watch it. Um, I'm going to also say no. I'm going to say six, seven, and eight is just a little too young. I'm going to say yes, they should be allowed to watch it, but I also don't think it's for everyone. <laughs> um, so let's get into it. Why, people? I mean, just to start off with, I think the biggest point is that it's about them. I mean, it's a show depicting what they themselves are going through. And while some sixth graders might not have hit puberty yet, I think most 13-year-olds have. And despite some of the exaggeration and the fear that is depicted in the show, I think it's a good way to let middle schoolers know that they're not alone and that what they're going through is normal. And, you know, it's important that you know it at least while you're going through puberty, if not beforehand. So I think it's good just on the basis of preparation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it addresses uh, types of lessons where kids who haven't hit puberty, like Nick, mm -hmm. um, feel uncomfortable with their bodies because like, they're like, everyone else is going through it and I'm not. And at the same time, the people going through it, like Andrew, are envious of the kids who haven't been going through mm -hmm. puberty because they think there's something wrong with them. Um, so I do agree that there's a lot of emotion behind this uh, experience of puberty and that feeling of I'm not alone in this I think supersedes issues with the show um, but I do want to hear your guys' points before we get into that so I definitely agree with what you guys were saying of like there's really important stuff particularly um, like making sure kids going through these feelings understand like oh, like, other people feel this way too, I'm not alone, and I think that's super important. But also, I think it's easy for us to say that because we're looking at it in retrospect and being like, oh, like, haha, that's what puberty was like. And, I, and we have the context to understand, like, what's exaggerated 
and like what's meant to be a joke and like what is meant to like maybe normalize something that seems a little taboo but someone going through puberty right now might not have that context and I don't know if there's a lot they could pull from this show in the wrong way but um, I do think there's a risk that they'll kind of look at something that's meant to be a joke or ironic that they don't understand it's ironic and so they kind of like take the wrong lesson from it. Yeah, I agree. I think some of the, pretty much exactly what you were saying, Joe, but some of the ways these things, you know, these things that are for a middle schooler sensitive and very present in the moment are for someone going through it, maybe should be handled with a, like a little bit differently. And mm -hmm. the way that they can be portrayed, I think can be just a little bit outside of how a 12 year old, like not can grasp, but maybe will grasp what the show is like uh, portraying. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's, those are very understandable points. I just think that you know, you could do that with every single type of media and every mm -hmm. single show or book or whatever and go, yeah, you could get the good lessons out of this or the bad ones. I mean, for example, Catcher in the Rye is required reading for a lot of high schools and middle schoolers. And Holding Clawfield is an asshole, but a lot of them don't take it like that. I mean, the first time I read it, I was like, no, I really relate to this guy. And it's only, you and then know, you were like, oh, 10 years no, later, like, God damn, he was a douchebag. <laughs> but you know what? It was still a really good book. And I think I still learned a lot from it, even mm -hmm. though I might not have taken away exactly what I was supposed to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I do I... think, sorry, that whether or not the kid, right, and just in reality, whether or not kids should watch it, they are watching it. Yeah. Big yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, th and that's a good point. I, I was going to go back to the... The books that we read in middle school, like something and high school, like Huckleberry Finn, you like you don't read that and come out racist or thinking that racism is okay, even though it's portrayed in the series. But at the same time, because you're reading it in school, you have an adult that's walking you mm -hmm. through it. And I completely recognize that if kids are watching Big Mouth, they're watching it by themselves. In an ideal... Or with friends. Yeah, or with friends. But that's not necessarily better. <laughs> in an ideal world, I would love it if Big Mouth was, you know, open to the public, but at the same time, they were having talkbacks with adults, whether it be parents, pastors, or just adult figures, youth ministers, um, uh, or even teachers. I would love it if I wouldn't get fired talking about Big Mouth to these kids. I think the only teacher that might have permission is the health teacher, and even they're walking on eggshells as well. Yeah, and it's funny because Big Mouth is kind of, it's definitely for um, entertainment, not necessarily education, but I think a lot of what it's trying to do is like destigmatize a lot of these taboos, but then, like, like you said, you can't talk to your students because it's still taboo, and it's like, that's exactly what the show is like, trying to get around right it's it's up and coming mm -hmm. um and so like i definitely want to think about how upset bo burnham was when eighth grade was given a rating of r because he created that story for eighth graders he made it about eighth graders he used the language of eighth graders and he created a story that eighth graders could relate to and then eighth graders weren't allowed to watch it unless they went with a parent 
-hmm. And he was frustrated by that. And I understand because I think when we censor in a certain in a certain light, we're not preventing them from getting access to bad words or sexuality. We're just not talking about it. And I think mm -hmm. that's a really dangerous thing to do, which is why I'm on the side of big mouth should be viewed. I think generally adults, especially parents, try and keep their kid from growing up as long as possible. I think that's a super natural thing to do. You don't want your little kid to grow up. You want them to remain your baby. But I think keeping information or keeping media away from them because it might be too adult when it is about themselves and their age can be detrimental. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't have access to shows like or movies like eighth grade or shows like Big Mouth, which I'm not saying are shining examples of what everything should be. Granted, I haven't seen eighth grade. Um, you know, you're left to Reddit forums and 4chan and Pornhub, which, you know, could work for you, but it's harder to access easily. And it's less inclusive yeah and even within the show the hormone monster helps andrew uh access internet uh porn and he's like oh i'm not 18 and the hormone <laughs> monsters well look how easy it is to bypass that yeah. click <laughs> and i think that's a that's something that parents need to be aware of just because you're not talking about it doesn't mean that they're not talking about it Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the parent, which I don't know if I agree with, the parent that lets the kids bring friends over and drink at home because then at least they can supervise them and they can sort of moderate them in that sense. Um, I think it's kind of that mentality of, well, if I start the conversation, then I'm more in control of how they understand it. There's mm -hmm. that. There's also the fact that letting your kid watch the show isn't illegal and letting your underage kid drink with his friends in your house very much is. Agreed. <laughs> Yeah. So for me, I know that when I was young, my parents did not regulate the media. I can they I don't know if they weren't aware, but they definitely didn't care. Um and that left me as and I I don't think I was the standard child going through puberty. Um but I when I saw these things that my peers were talking about and I saw some of the things that they were I myself was like, oh, I'm not ready for that. And so I self-regulated the kind of the content that because I didn't feel ready for it. But And um, I think a lot of kids are like that. I think a lot of adolescents have the ability to self-regulate. It's just that adults tend to make that decision for them. Mm -hmm. Which, again, like if you really think your kid isn't ready, you know them better than anybody else does. Except for maybe themselves. Right. So... Um, I'm gonna argue that most kids are not as in control of their actions, though. Like, I think peer pressure does take a really big, uh, toll on kids, and that shame that they experience of, well, everyone's doing it, or even I think everyone's doing it, makes me want to at least pretend I know what I'm talking about. Um, but I think that using that peer pressure would only be a, a beneficial aspect to why you should watch Big Mouth because they get into that. Mm -hmm. And they get into this uh, shame as well as feelings of, I know what I'm talking about, but clearly no one does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, and I think you're going to feel peer pressure regardless. 
And why not go in with more tools to, you know, navigate it? Right. And that actually brings up a point I wanted to make of some things that Nick Kroll said about the show. Because obviously when you're making this type of show, you know there's going to be controversy. Like, you know that you're going to be, you're trying to break taboos. So people are going to call it, like, cartoon pedophilia. And people are going to be upset that they're making fun of sex and kids. But that's not what the show is about, or at least that's not what it's intended to be about. So Nick Kroll... Um, emphasizes that, yeah, entertainment is the first priority, but they also think that if families can laugh together, then they'll be much more comfortable talking together about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he says, my hope is that the show gives a platform and vocabulary for kids to talk to their parents, each other, their educators about what they're going through. If you feel very alone at this point in your life, it's very helpful in general for kids who are at the age to see that it is happening to everybody. And I think that makes a lot of sense, especially in the context of 13-year-olds likely have access to anything and everything. And there are a lot of shows that are prioritizing entertainment without thinking of the secondary messages. Yeah, I know 10-year-olds that watch Game of Thrones uncensored, and I think if they do that, they're probably okay with Big Mouth, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But I think they're, like, so different. Like, Game of Thrones, yes, has, like, sexual stuff and, like, very violent stuff, but then Big Mouth has, like, oh, yeah, like, you're gonna yell at your mom. And it's never brought up that, like, that's not a good thing to do. Yeah, so a kid might get the idea. You're going like, to do it anyway. I <laughs> well, just want to point that out. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know oh, you it, shouldn't. It's happening any- no, that's the thing. They might not know that they shouldn't. If they watch Big Mouth and it's like, now yell at your mom. And it's like, oh, if I yell at my mom, it's just because I'm going through puberty. And there needs to be that talk back, like we said, of, okay, like, yes, you're like, you're having a lot of emotions and you might yell at your mom, but then you need to go apologize and talk to your mom about why you yelled at her. But it's just left hanging of, yell at your mom and that's going to make you feel better. Yeah, and call her oh, it Shannon. might make yeah. you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, I think they're, I think the idea of they're doing it anyway or they're watching something worse isn't like, oh, like, it's there, just do it anyway. I think that's like a dangerous I I agree that's a dangerous... Into. I think... If, yeah, if the show doubled down or followed up with consequences, because I think some of their actions do have consequences Mm -hmm. um, with all of the relationship uh, descriptions that they have of Nick dating Jesse and then claiming that he broke up with her to feel better about himself. But then there's uh, clapbacks because of that, as well as Nick um, telling everyone about touching Gina's boob and then trying to apologize and it not being enough. Um, I think there are, or they demonstrate consequences for their actions, even if they try not to hold themselves accountable. So they do say like, well, the hormone monster made me do it, or the shame wizard made me feel bad about myself. But there are the consequences within their friend group because of it. Mm -hmm. But I do agree with you that there are things that they Mm -hmm. don't address. The way that Jay speaks about women He's supposed to be the idiot character that all of his opinions are pretty much wrong. But I agree that they may not address it enough times for a kid out of context watching it saying, oh, that kid's supposed to be the dumb one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do agree that there is danger there. Um, 
Yeah, I think I'm in agreement with what you guys are saying. It's really important, and I think there's a void in media where kids don't have a, a platform to see themselves going through what they're going through in a real way, in a like a, um, you know, not a, a way that's babied, in a way that's like an adult trying to, you know, talk down to them about, you know, oh, I know <laughs> you're going through so many emotions right now. I was um, your age once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, when it, so I agree that there needs to be something like that. Mm -hmm. The way Big Mouth is, I don't think that Big Mouth should be that. If a kid is watching it, you know, I definitely think they're all, they will. They'll get this vocabulary. They will talk about it. But it's the way that Big Mouth is so crude and so and so doesn't uh, separate things that, you know, are maybe a good way or a bad way to handle yourself during puberty or to, you know, whatever, be... Uh, I don't know. Right, like like yeah. which lines are satirical and right. which lines are real. Exactly. Yeah. Which um, is very fair, but I don't know of a better alternative yet. So. And that's a good point. Like, yeah. Like this is... Yeah. Like for what we're like talking about, like this would be the ideal world. I feel like this is the closest we've gotten. It's mm -hmm. true. Yeah, I do think that it's I mean, maybe like, like you said, Steph, I think it's hard to find something about puberty that isn't patronizing or condescending yeah. to kids or just romanticized or mm -hmm. overly scientific or like, overly yeah. i don't want to talk boring. about it so let me just talk about penis and vagina yeah <laughs> but um i think that's why it's such a big deal right now is just because it is entertaining and it is valuable lessons and it's coming from a pure based view which there's not much of yeah, so. I think coming from the perspective of this is the society we live in, Nick Kroll had the right idea of making it entertainment first to get more people to watch it mm -hmm. and then having the lessons as secondary so that that's what they take away from it. If the lessons were prioritized, then suddenly there'd be almost like he's using the taboo against them. He's he's making kids watch it behind their parents' back because they're not supposed to be, and they're mm -hmm. accidentally getting lessons about consent, lessons about Planned Parenthood, lessons about, um, like, am I normal, and all of those questions answered secretly over the course of masturbation jokes and throw-up jokes and poop jokes and sex jokes. Like, it's almost like a sneaky inception aspect to it. Mm -hmm. and, and overall, I think, like, the heightened reality and like with the hormone monster and the shame wizard, I think overall it's important to share puberty in a fictional way because it, it allows for those exaggerations that make you feel more honestly than if it was a real portrayal. Yeah. Um, reminded of the passage in uh, The Things They Carried where he talks about how fictional stories can often portray truth better than the truth can. If, like, a war story makes you feel good, it was probably a fake war story. Because yeah. all real war stories are crude and things that sort of got them through the war. And those were always horrible things. <laughs> Fiction makes topics relatable. 
I, that's what it is designed to do. And I think you're right. I think fiction is a fantastic media to get points across and make it enjoyable while you're doing it instead of just reading through a textbook. Yeah, Kristen, you kind of brought this point up at the very beginning and Alex, you brought it up pretty recently of like avoiding getting too scientific. Like instead of being like, oh, um, Nick's acting this way because his pituitary gland hasn't activated yet. <laughs> um, and like that hasn't sent stuff to his thyroid to tell his body to grow. <laughs> like that's boring. But if it's like, oh, he hasn't gotten assigned a good hormone monster yet. Like, that's just like, oh, okay, I'm on board, and this is fun. Like, yeah, I'm not saying science is, isn't important. It's super important, <laughs> yeah. and you no, should know no, it. No, that's where we like, disagree. I don't you like should science. absolutely research this stuff that is happening to your body and your brain and all that. But to make it more comprehensible, mm -hmm. and to make it so that you might actually want to research it, mm -hmm. I think a show like Big Mouth is a good stepping stone. Yeah towards information and maturity. Yeah. And so, although we can't necessarily come to an agreement of the exact age you should be watching Big Mouth, we can all agree that it's post-elementary. <laughs> if you're in high school, you see it. But at the same time, we are not really in charge of that. We can't yeah. control other people um, what they're watching. I actually surveyed my middle school classes. Um, about 50% have seen it. And of the kids who saw it, about 65% of them said, oh, that was appropriate because it was about me. And when I pulled um, Instagram and our followers, it seems like 31% of our viewers would allow kids to watch Big Mouth. Whereas... <laughs> 69 percent nice. of our viewers say that no way kids should not be allowed to watch big mouth um but overall the show is good and i really want to talk about which points in the show stuck out to you as wow this is real this happened to me and oh my goodness i'm so glad someone finally portrayed it um the show definitely made me like recheck my like middle school self with um all the Gina stuff because I remember you know it was just like one day a girl would show up and like all of a sudden she had boobs and like all the guys were like oh my gosh did you see like she has boobs now and then they show you that like yes maybe that's normal but then they show you what the girl's going through while you're doing that and it's like oh man I guess that's uncool to do. So I think that's an important thing that like, I wish maybe uh, was discussed more like in middle school. Mm -hmm. I, I'd have to agree in high school with my female friends, one of the things I would do is I would hug them and then unhook their bra. I would have punched you. Yeah, no, and I got hit sometimes. <laughs> um, I would have fucking broken your nose. And it took me a long time to recognize why that isn't just an innocent prank mm -hmm. and why that um, could be so demeaning. And, like, it wasn't necessarily this show, but this show does delve into that topic of just because it's normal for you to feel that way doesn't mean you aren't in control of your actions. Mm -hmm. And that other person is still a person. Yeah, and on the Gina Alvarez side, which I kind of experienced because it was like one day in eighth grade, I woke up and I had boobs and I wasn't sure what to do with them. But 
a lot of the guys I was friends with decided to start calling me tits on a stick. And that was my nickname for about three years. And you know, good and funny and all. But then you're thinking about it and you're like, am I really just a pair of boobs? Like, is that my entire worth? I'm breasts and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very demotivating for a lot of girls. One thing that I like, so when Gina and Nick are talking about it, Gina is talking about it like, you know, it makes me so uncomfortable sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then other times, I kind of like it. Yeah. It's like Mm -hmm. a very um, polarizing thing to feel like, oh, maybe I'm only being looked at for my body and maybe this is making me really uncomfortable. But do I like sometimes getting attention and do I like sometimes being admired and I think um I think it's you're allowed to feel yeah, both no absolutely I think there's just and I think why it's really hard to tell the difference a lot of times or contemplate about it is because it's a really fine line between enjoyable attention and too much attention right yeah. or and they definitely, the wrong kind of attention yeah and they mm-hmm. definitely get into it when Jesse buys her first uh red sexy bra mm-hmm. and she's she felt empowered by it when she was by herself. She goes to school and then her smile, her confident smile slowly turns into a, a very upsetting, I wasn't ready for this kind of experience. Yeah. And it wasn't because she didn't want attention. She didn't want a particular type of attention. Right. Which I think is important for a lot of girls to be conscious of and also a lot of guys to be conscious of as well. Absolutely. Like not saying like, you know, she asked for it because that's never what happens. But, like, if you go to school wearing a white t-shirt and a red bra, eyes will look. And that's kind of biological. And should they be looking at you like that? No. Like, you are more than your breasts. You always have been. You always will be. But it makes it a lot harder not to look. (laughs) And there is that. So it's just a thing to be conscious of. Mm -hmm. And, um... Steph, I think you were the one that brought it up before of, like, you knew you weren't ready for certain stuff. Yeah. And that the red bra specifically, I think, is kind of like a little cautionary tale because Jessie was like, I want to wear a bra. I want to look like a woman. And then she goes in and sees what happens when you do that. And she's like, oh, I, this was not what I was anticipating. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm not ready. And then they have this really nice moment with the balance of, I want to burn this bra or, you know, put it away and wear it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I'd say the most relatable thing for me with uh, Big Mouth is probably the cum socks. Uh, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> um, uh, I get embarrassed talking about it, but boy, oh boy, is it real. It reminds me of uh, in Bridesmaid. One of the funniest joke in Bridesmaid is when the mom is talking about how there's just cum everywhere mm. and that she picks up a towel and she can just break it in half <laughs> because of the dry cum. <laughs> and I think that's the most spot on um, conversation to have with an adolescent boy. Mm-hmm. Andrew's sock on trial was like, he uses me like an object. I mean, I I get that I am an object, but not for that. (laughs) I love in the first season when Andrew discovers porn and and his hormone monster, like, picks up a sock. And like you said, he just kind of, like, 
smashes it into a million pieces <laughs> like it's glass, and he's just like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and he has the the good uh, throws all of the all of his socks in the garbage where there happens to be a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets yeah, yeah, arrested. Yeah. Yeah. And his semen was everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good mm-hmm. joke. <laughs> so, I think the most relatable thing for me was the depression in season two. Mm, yeah. So, I was diagnosed as a child with early onset depression and generalized anxiety disorder, which I still have. And I kind of, like, was okay with it. I was doing pretty well. And then puberty happened at, like, 11 years old. And oh boy. (laughs) You mean hormones affected your... Yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy. Um, But it went from... Slow down. Do you think you could maybe like make this a little bit more relatable? (laughs) I'm having trouble following. Yeah. But for me, I went to a very manageable level of apathetic to not wanting to get out of bed for days. And I think mental health, again, like I said earlier, is just not really talked about often in general, like with all ages, but since puberty is such a pivotal point in someone's life, mental health plays a really big part of it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for me, depression was that part. Yeah. So and I'm th- glad think, they discussed it. I think by portraying it as literally a physical giant cat that's laying on you, mm-hmm. not letting you get out of bed, it can help kids understand that exactly what you explained of there are chemicals doing this to you this isn't Mm -hmm. your fault and it's not like it's not normal that's the thing for a while i thought it was normal i was like oh well i don't get that much sleep i'm just tired like you know what it's like a lazy day no i was sick i needed help Um, and eventually i got it but like those first couple years of puberty i was just like yeah this is who i am big mouth i think is not meant to be so emotional but when I saw that episode um the depression cat made me cry I just felt like Mm -hmm. it was so accurate and like Jessie trying to get out of bed she said oh it's maybe a little weird that I'm in bed at 2 p.m in the middle of the day and the depression cat is just on top of her right and she can't get up and she uh it it made me cry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really big change. Like, you go, you're growing up, and so suddenly, you know, you're not supposed to like the things you used to like anymore. And then one day you're like, oh, I actually really don't like them. But it's not because you don't like those things. You might have matured from them. But if it's depression, you just don't like anything. And, like, you're not smiling, you're not laughing, you know, it might be teenage angst, or it might be a real serious mental health condition, and you should talk to somebody. And I think a lot of kids don't realize that that can happen to them like with everything else happening it might feel like a very natural progression and i think including the depression cat with jesse shows that you know what it's not normal it's not supposed to Mm -hmm. happen or it's not something that should go unchecked like if you're feeling that way you should reach out yeah and because of that i hope i mean this is gonna sound weird but i hope the depression cat comes back for in season three but I I would have liked if maybe instead of the shame wizard for nine episodes and then in the 10th episode Jesse has the depression cat I think it should have been the depression cat has her own season where she's like the new mythical creature and then at the end 
Jesse has like depression and the cat's laying on top of her. Definitely, because I feel like the only thing wrong with that episode was that the cat got off of her mm-hmm. within one episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say just kind of like what you were saying of like make sure you reach out. The cat gets off of her in one episode, which you know I would have preferred if like maybe they stretched that out. But the cat can come back. The cat could come back, and the cat gets off of her with the help of her friends, yep. the yeah. hormone monsters, and Nick and. Andrew come and like that's what helps get her off so it's it was unrealistic of how quickly it got off but maybe it'll come back but at the same time isolating yourself feels like the right thing to do a lot of times when people have depression and it's almost always with the help of others that Mm -hmm. you feel better yeah Yeah. so I like that aspect of it I I really don't like that the thing I got out of this was (laughs) cum socks and the thing you got out of this was like depression and it's portrayal you know what then that's a really good thing that means you had a better puberty than me (laughs) it's just it's gonna make me look bad in this episode I I think cum socks are a really important thing to talk about though straight up like I don't have any but I think there is like you don't a, have any cum socks. I don't. You know, it's when you lose the elasticity at the. <laughs> oh shit! Then I have a lot of cum socks, man. <laughs> Bring them over. I gotta apologize to my mom anymore. when I was younger. Um. Yeah, I feel like some. So a lot of the like physical puberty stuff that like the girls go through. Um, I don't know. Like I didn't so much resonate with Jesse's period episode. Because I didn't have a very dramatic first period. Oh, when I got my first period, I cried. Really? I was 11. I was at a friend's house. I cried. Oh I was goodness. like, oh no, my life is over. <laughs> I was like, what? No, this is awful. One of my favorite parts about that episode was how she held it together for the whole trip. Even though like she hid in the bathroom and all that, she held it together. As soon as she got in the car with her mom, she starts tearing up and she's like... Yeah. yeah. No, I was crying oh, in the bathroom. And I made you wear those white pants. Yeah. 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 The second her mom insisted on the white pants, I knew it was going to happen, by the way, because that's just always what happens. Yeah. But no, like, you hold it together. Like, when I was in the bathroom, I cried, and then I stopped crying, and I left the bathroom, and that was it. That was mm-hmm. it. Um. So because not a ton of the physical puberty aspects... I feel like, like we were saying just in the beginning, more of the emotional size of puberty kind of resonated me, with me in the show. And so another thing Jessie goes through is kind of having to come to terms with the fact that her parents are people and they make mistakes and they have faults and they're not perfect. And I think um, that to me uh, resonated a lot and I related to a lot. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a contentious parent. time. <laughs> it was a really contentious time. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I'd also say that for any of us, did any of us have our parents talk to us about sex ed? Mm. No. So I was raised on media. My parents, who are not the touchy-feely type at all, I came home from school one day in like fifth grade, I was 10, and on my bed were just pamphlets, um, medical pamphlets about everything from sex to the reproductive cycle, everything anatomy all of it and I read it through them all and my parents and I never spoke about it but I was I was happy with that because that is an awkward conversation to have with your parents and I still got all the information that I needed plus more <laughs> yeah um I definitely did not get any sort of talk from my parents but there was always especially with my mom the knowledge that I could 
I could mm-hmm. always definitely go to my mom. So while I didn't get a talk, um, I think I definitely was lucky in that nothing was taboo with my mom. So I could yeah. always talk to her. No, um, same. My parents, nothing was taboo. But like that picture of genital warts really drives home something. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, when you're 10, you're just like, ooh. Um, I, when you were saying, though, raised on media, I do remember a very specific episode of As Told by Ginger, where <laughs> her class has to watch this like sex ed video. Um, and they deal with puberty in that episode. Um, that was my talk. <laughs> as long as it worked. <laughs> I mean, it's, it resonated. Yeah, yeah, I remember it to this day. <laughs> um, I don't remember ever specifically being sat down. Um, I don't want to say that my parents definitely didn't, because maybe I just forgot. But I do think I was in a similar boat of everything I knew came from media But I was lucky that my school had, like, a really good sex ed program. Um, I don't know if it was, like, I mean, comparatively to other schools, but, like, I learned what I had to. And, like, they talked about, you know, like, contraception and, like, here's how the body works and things like that. So um, I did get a more formalized talk in my school, which I understand is definitely not always the case. Yeah. And then I watched Big Mouth, so, <laughs> so now, I am. I'm, now I'm kind of an expert. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I definitely think overall Big Mouth has a lot of lessons to teach. And for many states, it probably has a better sex education than public uh, schools. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, there are only 13 <laughs> states in the United States that require scientific sex education. And everything else, they get to choose. Since I am a firm believer of sex education, I'd say watch it. (laughs) That'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please tune in next time when we talk about Schindler's List and how it resonates in today's culture. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men and find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Thank you all again, and if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.